My name is J.R. Ross. I'm the editor of WisPolitics.com, and I'm here to host a Wisconsin conversation on the workforce housing shortage in Wisconsin. To help me with that conversation today, I have several distinguished guests. Uh, first, Tom Larson, Vice President of Wisconsin Realtors Association, Professor Kurt Paulson from University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, Jerry DeShane, Executive Director, League of Wisconsin Municipalities, and Scott Lanley from Executive uh, Vice President of Government Relations of Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. I guess I want to cue up this question with the big, the big question. What is the problem and why do we have it? Uh, and Kurt, I want to start with you. You're the numbers guy, so kind of give me a big, a big picture. What is going on in Wisconsin and, and why is it happening? Happening. So I would say, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, we have kind of a number of crises that all kind of overlap. First of all, we have the uh, kind of long, slow crisis, which is over the last 20 years as Wisconsin's added jobs and income and population. In both urban and rural and suburban markets, we have not created enough housing units to keep up with that demand. And so that's the kind of long-term workforce housing shortage. Uh, there's an urban version of that, which is a lot of our urban counties have more jobs than houses. Uh, but there's a rural version as well, where uh, employers are having difficult time getting workers because there's no housing in those uh, areas. The second, Housing workforce housing crisis is of course caused by COVID. There's kind of an immediate shortage of housing. Um, inventories are down, sales prices are up, rents are up, and people are having difficulty paying the bills. And of course, lumber costs are really expensive. And so there's a lot of that disruption. And then the third crisis is of course, for many of our lower wage workers, even uh, the housing that is available is not really affordable. So the, big answer as to why we don't have enough housing is that it's um, in many of our markets, uh, the combination of zoning constraints and other financing constraints just make it hard for developers and builders to build housing. Uh, infrastructure is expensive. Uh, banks have tightened up lending standards on land loans for development. And in many cases, the entry level housing product that people want, you just can't build because uh, zoning and other regulations either make it uh, illegal to build or too expensive to build. If anyone wants to piggyback off of Kurt's comments, please raise your hand. But I guess I wanted to get, ask a secondary question uh, to Tom, because obviously you guys are selling houses in Wisconsin. What are you seeing in the market with what's going on? I can tell you my personal experience. Um, I got my assessment from Madison a couple weeks ago. I went, oh, you know, that's not too bad. It went up quite a bit. Then I saw a house on the block on the market and went, holy smokes, they're going to ask that for that house? So can you tell me like why I'm seeing these huge jumps in assessments and mark houses on the market right now? Well, uh, thanks, JR, for inviting us to be part of this program. Uh, it's, it's purely a uh, combination of supply and demand. There is such a huge demand out there for housing and a shortage of supply, you're seeing prices go through the roof. Uh, with uh, respect to uh, statewide averages, uh, the average house is now up to $230,000 statewide. That's that's definitely uh, a lot higher in um, uh, Dane County and other urban areas, but that's about a 10 to 12% increase statewide from the year before. You're, as I also mentioned, you're seeing uh, with the shortage of inventory, you're seeing uh, houses not stay on the market very long, uh, especially in that first time home buyer range. It is not uncommon for a house that goes on the market uh, on a Thursday to be sold on Friday with 20, 30, 40 offers. 
and asking prices at uh, 10, 20 or 30% over the asking price. So it is just a crazy market out there. And anybody who's trying to buy housing in that first time home buyer market or this workforce housing market, it is a extremely competitive process. Okay. Um, now, Scott, I wanna come to you with this question because uh, I've been covering the capital for 21 years. Uh, at this point, in the conversations I've had with people about the economy, I keep hearing we don't have enough people to fill the jobs we have in Wisconsin. We don't have enough homes people already here, and we've got a brain drain that's been going on and been talked about for, for decades. How do these interplay with what you're seeing in the manufacturing sector and the business economy in Wisconsin? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I think we're on the tail end of a pandemic here where our economy sort of fell off a cliff. But before that, we were at 3.3% unemployment in our state, which is very low. As of March, we're back to 3.8%. So we're, you know, our unemployment rate is about where it was before the pandemic hit. And uh, before the pandemic hit, the number one concern for businesses in this state was we can't find workers. And so we're really, in, we're, we're back to that same condition. And it's even, it's even a bigger problem, JR, if you're in a, you know, if, if, if you're anywhere outside of Dane in Milwaukee County, and, and this problem is statewide for sure, it, it's, it impacts Dane and Milwaukee County, but I think it's even harder in Dane, outside of Dane or Milwaukee County. If you're in Northern Wisconsin, or you're in Central Wisconsin, or you're in Southwest Wisconsin, and you're an employer, you have an opportunity to expand your business, but you would need to hire 100 or 200 or 300 employees. First of all, you're right, you can't find the workers, but even if you could find the workers, where are they gonna live? I mean, if, if you're if you're going to add uh, onto your facility, onto your production facility, and and you want to make that investment, you're not going to make that investment if, unless and until you know that you can hire workers, uh, you know, to to man the, the the production lines. And if you can't, if you don't have the housing to do it, there's just no way you're going to be able to attract the workers. So it's it's in terms of a development. Uh, you know, from a, a development standpoint and from um, a, a job growth standpoint, this is very much a chicken and an egg kind of a thing. You know, it, it, you sort of get caught between you need the housing in order to attract the workers, but you also have to attract the workers in order to create the demand for the housing. So we're, so, in, so we're in a really tough spot. How does that brain drain, though, factor into this because I've, I saw some stats this week about the number of people, I think the 20 to 24 age category who are leaving Wisconsin and not coming back. We've had this issue for a long time. Are we losing a, a whole contingent of folks who could be A, filling jobs and B, buying houses if they were available? Like, is that an issue? And how do you address that with the workforce, Scott? Well, I, th I think that, so I think we're making some progress actually on the brain drain issue and it, it might not feel like it, but we are, and you know, we got to, we've we've sort of, I think, hit an inflection point in terms of of our in migration versus out migration, which which is a good thing for our state. Um, we're below the national average according to the 2020 census in terms of population growth, but we are one of the leaders in the Midwest. So I think you know when you look at what's happened in the downtown Madison real estate market, for example with all of the high rise apartment complexes that are going up, 
um, in in the city, particularly downtown, um, it's a lot of millennials working in the in the technology sector, Jr. That are that are living in those apartments. So I think I think we're doing a better job of of keeping them, and obviously having a place for them to live is an important piece of that of that puzzle. Uh, Tom, I saw your hands go up. I think you want to pipe in, yeah. That. Uh, uh, in order to keep the the skilled workers that we have, uh, housing is a critical component. At some point, these young millennials who are in their mid to late 20s start forming families. And when they start forming families, what we're seeing is that they are reacting like other generations. They want to own their own homes. So if we don't have that housing stock available for them, especially that single family uh, housing stock, we're going to lose them to other places. They have uh, tremendous opportunities to live anywhere they want in the country because other states are experiencing the same type of uh, workforce uh, shortages that Wisconsin is. So uh, housing is also a critical component to keeping these uh, young millennials who uh, have uh, great earning potential here within the state's borders. Uh, Now, Jerry, I wanna get to you. Uh, We've got a graphic about uh, housing underproduction and where there are some acute problems in the uh, 20 largest counties with this issue. What are your local members, what's the experience they're having right now with the housing market and what are they seeing as the challenges for them in trying to find adequate housing for the people who want to live in their communities? Well, JR, it, first of all, let me say, it's good to be talking about something that doesn't involve needles or <laughs> pandemics or respirators or masks. On the other hand, I feel like I just picked up my notebook from what was my biggest concern of a year ago because this has been growing ever since the Great Recession. Um, It it depends on where you are. If you're a village that has a manufacturing facility out in a rural county, the challenge has been there aren't any developers interested in building where you are, or or they will tell you you just don't have what you need. Um, The challenge in in in, um, urban areas, I, I think is multifaceted. I think to a large extent, our zoning codes are set up for five bedroom homes on half acre lots. And you know, you talk to Mark Epley, you talk to Kurt Paulson, that's not what we need to be focused on. We need a lot of smaller units. But you know, I've been I've been in this business working with housing for virtually my entire career. The bottom line is housing never came back from the Great Recession. We took a nosedive in production in 2009, and we never picked that back up. And there is no single, there is no single finger in the pipe. There's no single cause to that. So there's not going to be any single solution. You know, we can't reform local zoning codes and hallelujah, we'll have 20,000 units a year. That's a simplistic approach we need financing tools that we don't have now. We do need to reform local zoning codes in a number of areas. We need incentives from the federal government. There's a lot of, there's going to take a lot of different tools to make this start flowing again. Well, you guys have been playing nice so far. I'm gonna try and stir things up a little bit because you bring up local zoning. Uh, In my time covering the Capitol, uh, local controls in the eye of the beholder, depending on who's talking about it sometimes, you hear sometimes the call for a statewide uh, foundation or a statewide standard that those kinds of things. What's needed? Is there a 
Is there a need for a statewide standard on zoning? Is that something you guys want to get into? Is that a dangerous place to be? Or do you have to work community by community to try and address this problem? Because it's obviously different in Dane County than it is in Douglas County. So what do you do? Well, and it's for that reason, JR, that we generally don't want to see, you don't want statewide zoning. You know, all, what, what I would challenge anybody who thinks that's the solution, go suggest to the legislature that you want zoning to be written in Madison. We want local zoning policy to be written in Madison. But there are a lot of things the state can do. The state can set up model zoning ordinances. Uh, right now I'm working in partnership with a number of these gentlemen on a very practical, very pragmatic local zoning reform process that every city and village ought to be going through. Um, but then there's the ugly reality, JR, of what I'll call NIMBYs, neighbors that have already got their piece of the pie and they're not real interested in someone getting a piece of that pie next door. That is an ongoing challenge. That's part of democracy. And um, it's gonna take all of us making a sales pitch that, hey, look, we built yours. We need to build something for the next guy and the next girl and the next family. But again, it, it, JR, anybody in the panel or in the world that says there's one solution to this problem is trying to sell that solution. There's, there's gotta be a lot of tools that are brought into play. Well, Tom or Scott, do you want to try and sell a solution from the statewide perspective to address this issue when it comes to zoning? Uh, real quickly, and I think Kurt has uh, a comment, but uh, Jerry really hit uh, two different points uh, there. I think uh, he talked about zoning standards, things like lot sizes and zoning requirements. The other part is process. And process is where we can have some uh, greater standardization. Oftentimes, it's not the regulations municipalities have into place, but it's the enforcement of those regulations. Oftentimes, a developer will come forward with a proposal that's consistent with those municipal regulations, but because uh, neighbors and neighborhoods have a lot of uh, influence over the approval of those projects, they're often rejected or delayed in adding costs to that development. And so I think if, if uh, the state and municipalities are serious, about reducing the costs of uh, development and housing, we'll have to create a fair process that makes everybody play by the rules, including municipalities. Uh, Kurt, you wanted to pipe up? I was gonna say that it's, um, it's interesting to watch that in the last couple of years, statewide zoning reform has really taken off in a number of diverse states, uh, including uh, proposals in Connecticut, the, the legislation passed in Oregon, uh, proposals in California. And the issue there is always, if, if what Jerry said is correct, that the neighbors and NIMBYs don't want any more housing, right? I mean, the solution to the housing crisis is to build more houses where people want to live. The people who are already living there don't want more houses built. Some statewide standards or incentives uh, can kind of give a little uh, steel to the spine of local governments. And if you look at what Oregon has done and Utah has done, um, it is this menu option that you need to provide a, a number of these options uh, in terms of zoning reform. Connecticut is looking at a proposal right now, which would allow, uh, would tell a municipality that you have to allow multifamily in at least one of your districts, right? If you're an urban municipality, you should allow multifamily by right somewhere in your city. And in my report, I suggested that uh, for Wisconsin. That's not telling local governments where in your city you need multifamily. But if you're a growing municipality and you have water and sewer availability, 
and you can't build multifamily by right anywhere in your zoning ordinances, I think that's that's pretty exclusionary and that's part of what the housing crisis is. And in the report, I get a little more radical because I think when you have a large minimum lot size requirement in your community that is not related to health and safety, right? If you don't have overcrowded streets or lack of sewer capacity, if you have a minimum lot size that's larger than six or 7,000 square feet for a single family home, that does nothing to protect public health and safety. It just drives up the cost of housing. But of course, as I've gone around the state and listened to municipal officials and talked about this, as I wrote uh, in, in Jerry's publication, a lot of municipal officials will tell me privately they agree with me, but publicly they would get crucified because when new development occurs, the existing residents see the, the schools getting crowded, the parks getting crowded, and they see their taxes going up. And so on the financial side, municipalities are often resistant to new housing if they perceive that that's going to cause uh, the taxes to go up or service quality to decline. Uh, Scott, I think you wanted to chime in on this topic as well. Yeah, I, I think that um, we're talking about two issues here. One is the availability of housing and one is the price of housing. And I think we, we need to kind of separate the two. Um, I would argue to you that with respect to the um, the price of housing issue, there's there's not, I mean, there's definitely some things that that government can do to make some improvements to make housing more affordable. But I would also argue that a lot of what's driving the higher costs of housing right now is market driven. And, you know, WMC is on East Washington Avenue, downtown Madison, and there are apartments that have been built and continue to be built that are renting for north of $2,000 for a, for a, per month, you know, for, for a one bedroom apartment. And that's because the, they're building uh, parade home style apartment, uh, you know, apartment units that have hardwood floors and tiled showers and granite countertops and stainless appliances. But that's what the market wants. So the, the market is delivering what the market or, or what consumers are demanding and that's the way it's supposed to work. And yes, of course that increases rents because it costs a lot more to build that. but. Um, but I think that there are some things that can be done. Um, and I, I, I would say one of them is, is, is taking some of the bureaucracy out of the development approval process and, and, and also adding velocity to that process. I spent 14 years on, uh, combined on the city council and plan commission in Verona. And I can tell you that on several instances where we were trying to to get a, a single family residential housing uh, development platted, we were, we, we were delayed by years, years, because uh, of the Regional Planning Commission um, deciding that they didn't like the type of development that we wanted to have in, in the city of Verona. And, and so they wouldn't approve the urban service area extension, the, the extension of sewer and water to that development. And if you can't get sewer and water to the development, you're not gonna be able to develop it. So I, th I think that there's, it was very eye-opening for me um, to be a part of that development process and see all of the red tape um, that, that goes into it, much of which uh, drives additional cost. And I would argue much of it uh, is not value add. I, I think there, 
there ought to be ways that we can streamline the, the development approval process. So 2000 bucks a month for a one bedroom. I assure they work for a medical technology company, not for a media outfer, <laughs> media firm. <laughs> that's, that's a little eye-opening. Um, anybody else want to touch this before we go on to some other questions that I have? Questions that I have? Okay. okay. I've got well, another question. Just to, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kurt. Go ahead, Kurt. I just wanted to say also, if you if it costs you three hundred thousand dollars in construction costs to build a kind of medium quality, medium sized house, you can sell that in Dane or Waukesha or Brown County, and there's a market for that. The difficulty is, of course, that um, even trying to value engineer a house to like two hundred and sixty, two hundred and seventy, which is about the minimum you could get it down to, that's really way above the market in like La Crosse or Barron County. So one of the challenges is even zoning reform in kind of uh, lower cost markets won't necessarily bring about more housing, but we think that zoning reform, particularly in our high cost urban markets, will bring uh, the market to, to deliver more housing. Okay, well, Kurt, I've got a quick numbers question for you. So I gotta be a little bit devil's advocate here, a little bit, just ask this question. I saw census numbers this week. Um, Wisconsin's population grew at 3.6% between 2010, 2020. That's down from 6% 2000, 2010, down from 9.7 and 90 to 2000. So are we on the threshold of maybe not having a severe problem in another 10 years because of the population started to grow slower? Is that something to watch at all? Is he not worried about that? If we have a, a rush of building houses right now, it could end up being a glut in 10 years. Well, the other way to look at it is what uh, those of us who are housing economists look at is building permits per thousand of population. And we used to build close to over nine houses for every thousand population. And now we're just barely above three, right? So it's still the fact that even though our population growth has slowed, our housing construction has slowed faster than population growth has slowed. So if you look at annual, average, annual averages, we're adding jobs and people faster than we're adding housing. So the, the gap may slow a little bit, but it's still there. Plus there's just this overall issue that, you know, in Dane County, for example, 100,000 people commute in to Dane County every day to work. In Waukesha County, it's over 80,000. So even if in aggregate, our numbers might look like we're holding the line, we're not building enough where people actually want to live or close to where the jobs are. Okay. So now I covered the Capitol and many fights over the years and, uh, no offense, but Jerry, Tom, and, and Scott, you're always on the same side on every issue that I've covered. Uh, there are a couple of things in the budget that I'm kind of curious to ask your opinions about. Now, and I'm going to read a little bit from this, make sure I get the details right, but the governor's proposing creating a state tax-preferred savings account for first-time home buyers to subtract from their adjusted gross income up to $5,000 of contributions um, for a single filer, up to 10000 for married joint filers. I think it's got a $4.1 million price tag on that for fiscal year 22-23. WIDA is always also asking for an increase in the annual limit on housing tax credits, the authority uh, to 10 million a year, I believe up from 7 million. Are you, knowing that these are the things I think I've seen so far in the governor's budget that address some of what you're talking about, will you guys all be lobbying Republican lawmakers to embrace these things, or do you think these are, are issues with these proposals? And we can, uh, how about Jerry, you go first. We, as I said earlier, it's going to take a lot of different tools. These are these are not cure-alls, but they're good starts. They're good steps in the right direction. We don't have any objections to them. Okay. okay. Tom, where are you guys at on those things? 
supportive of uh, those initiatives. They're not, all of them aren't aimed at uh, addressing supply. That um, first time homebuyer tax credit addresses the demand side of the equation, which there's plenty of. But as Kurt mentioned before, there's an affordability problem in Madison and that uh, first time homebuyer savings account is a tool that would make housing more, avail uh, more affordable to a lot of young families in Wisconsin. And, and Scott, have you guys looked at these provisions at all? Yeah, actually, you know, we're probably more focused on other aspects of of uh, tax and other policies in the governor's budget um, besides those. But, I, you know, I'd agree with what Tom uh, just said and what Jerry just said about uh, there isn't going to be a single, um, you know, silver bullet answer to this problem. And, and I, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, the the proposal that you mentioned, Jr. is is going to hurt by any means, but it's not going to solve the problem either. I think if we want to solve the problem, we're going to have to get at some of the root causes of the problem, and unfortunately, some of them are outside of our control. I mean, you you, you can't you can't legislate um, lumber prices to to go down. You can't legislate that. Uh, all of a sudden we have more construction workers available to frame houses and hang drywall and do roofing. Um, what we can do is try and do a better job of preparing kids uh, who are going through high school to take on those careers um, because we definitely need uh, more, more kids uh, entering the construction trades. There's absolutely no question about that. And we can, we can, you know, do, I would argue to you that if, if we could get back to what we were doing several years ago, where we were doing talent attraction campaigns to try and tell the story of what a great place Wisconsin is to live, work and raise a family that, that would probably do as much or more to address some of these root cause issues than maybe, a, 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 you know, a, a tax credit for savings would. I think Jerry, can I follow up on, on what Absolutely. Scott said? Because Scott is absolutely right. And I, even if the latest census says that population growth in the state is slowing, I for one don't think we ought to accept that as the way things are. There are places in the state where you literally cannot get an ambulance. You call 911, nobody will answer the phone. And that's part and parcel of we need to do a better job attracting people to Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, when you tell me that population growth has slowed in the last decade, that's not a good thing. And frankly, we need to be looking at ways to draw good people to the state. Um, housing is a big part of that because Scott's absolutely right. And I've had his members talk to my members and Tom's members and say, what's the point of putting a big addition on the factory if I can't get anyone to live here. Well, look, we all know the dynamic of the Capitol right now with, with a Republican-controlled state legislature and Democratic Governor Tony Evers. There's not a lot of cooperation at times, um, and big bills getting through have been few and far between lately. So the budget is the one vehicle that we know of that kind of has to get done in the next year. I want to ask the four of you, if you had one thing you could put in the state budget to address this issue, what would it be? What would help be a solution? Because we've talked about the problem. We know what the problem is. We have one solution from the governor, proposing governor that wouldn't hurt at least, right? What would help start solving this problem if you could put it in the budget now? Anyone want to go first? I'll go first. More money. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Jerry. 
How do you, how do you, how do you how define do you infrastructure, define? Jerry? That's a big debate now at the federal level. How do you define it? <laughs> More narrowly than they define it at the okay, federal okay. level. I'm All talking right. pipes right. and blacktop that feeds a house. Okay. Anybody else want to go next? I'd be happy to Scott, go uh, uh, next. Uh, uh, go ahead, Scott. Uh, JR, I would say we need to start making investments, uh, taking some of the money that we spend on K-12 education, set it aside so we can expose more kids to uh, technical education and the types of skills in the construction trade so that um, we can do something about the, 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 the labor piece of, of the cost of, of building housing. I think it's very difficult for Wisconsin in, to influence the, the cost of raw materials because that's driven by national supply and demand. But if we can do a better job of getting more uh, workers into the trades and other technical skills um, type occupations, uh, the, 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 the labor costs will come down. Okay. Uh, Tom, I think you wanted to go next. Yeah, well, two things. One is uh, we should provide municipalities with the incentives to lower the regulatory costs that uh, affect the cost of housing. Uh, Scott talked about uh, cutting the red tape, streamlining the process. Those are all things that we can control to reduce the cost of housing. And the other thing is more tools for local units of government to finance the infrastructure necessary for uh, uh, residential development. Thank you. And, and Kurt, last but not least. Yeah, as a state government employee, I'm not advocating for or against <laughs> anything, but um, I'll note that uh, a number of the governor's proposals on workforce housing did reflect uh, a bill that passed the assembly uh, on a bipartisan vote last year. Uh, there's a proposal for a, a grant program that would provide uh, additional resources to municipalities, both for uh, developing workforce housing, but also kind of reducing some of the regulatory barriers uh, but I think Tom and Jerry are correct um, that it's, uh, you know, the cost of infrastructure is one of those big costs right now. And uh, finding a way to help uh, municipalities put in that infrastructure. And uh, because, as I said before, a lot of communities tell me they don't want to accept more housing because uh, they're just having in financing difficulties with their current levels of service. So maybe additional incentives to municipalities um, for being uh, more flexible and accommodating of the housing demands that are there. All right. Well, I think that's bringing the conversation to a close. I want to thank the four of you for joining us today uh, to watch that budget process and see what happens. If these ideas make it, please follow WisPolitics.com budget blog and watch Rewind every week on Wisconsin Eye. Again, I'm J.R. Ross from WisPolitics.com. Thank you for watching. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel to gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol. 